Every year, as Assemblies of God Church, our corporate or national office in Springfield, they'll send us this AC, a, a, ACMR report, right, Carl, where they want to know. Uh, you'll see it this year, Carl, and, uh, and they'll, they'll be asking statistics about the church. They'll want details. How many, how many baptisms? How many salvations? How many, how many people are attending? What's the ministry account in all the different departments and every way that you could statistically uh, calculate about the church? Reports and accounting are business as usual for most organizations, and there is certainly nothing inherent with counting. Tommy Barnett used to say, we count people. I like that because people count, he'd say. And uh, he had one of the fastest growing churches in America uh, in the 1990s. And so um, it's hard. Uh, it's not hard to look at the Bible, though, and find numbers in the Bible. The most obvious is a ginormous book called the Book of Numbers, right? Uh, even in the New Testament, when thousands were added to the church, or when Jesus feeds 5,000, those numbers are written down without negative consequence. And the Jews were articulate in uh, remembering where they came from, their family lineage, tracing their families back literally hundreds of generations. Hundreds of thousands of family members represented in their counts of, of their tribes and their people. As we come to the last chapters of 1st and 2nd Samuel, David demands a count of his available soldiers, which on the surface doesn't seem like it should be a problematic request. What leader doesn't want to make sure that they have the military defense to protect their citizens? You would be negligent not to have some kind of organized plan to gather your people to defend it if one of your enemies marches towards your cities, and if you've ever seen a map, map of Jerusalem today and, and on that state, they're surrounded by hostile uh, countries, hostile enemies that outnumber them, you know, thousands to one. God's people who worship the one true living God have always been threatened by those who don't serve him. That there is a spiritual battle that continually rises up to be a physical threat. It seems this lost world, even that we're surrounded by today as believers in Jesus Christ, the lost world is not content with going their separate way in darkness. And the light of God can, uh, just allowing us to radiate and permeate on our own in our own separate sector because light the, has, a, has a direct and immediate effect on darkness, doesn't it? Darkness is dis disrupted whenever light comes near it. And having a, a ready army seems basic and elementary for this king reestablished uh, David with the United Kingdom in 2 Samuel chapter 24. But we'll read it says again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel and he incited David against them, saying, go take a census of Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab and the army commanders with him, go throughout the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and enroll the fighting men so that I may know how many there are. But Joab replied to the king, may the Lord your God multiply the troops a hundred times over and may the eyes of the Lord, uh, my Lord, 
the king see it. But why does my lord the king want to do such a thing? And the king's word, however, overruled Joab and the army commanders. So they left the presence of the king to enroll the fighting men of Israel. This is a, uh, at times an uncomfortable passage that requires us to be okay with, uh, with incomplete answers or with questions that still remain. Why would the Lord incite David to count and turn around and it, the counting be a negative thing, right? That we'll find out that David is punished for. It could be that the Hebrew writers and the narrators of this text chose the Hebrew word incite sooth, which means to lure or instigate uh, and to allow one to be tempted by desire is not the same thing as God being up to evil. First Chronicles tells the same story, but this narrator picks some different words that make us a little more comfortable. Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. Now, I can't explain why the two narrators chose the words that they did, but I like to lean on First Chronicles to reconcile the oddness of Second Samuel's choice of wording. That would follow a pattern that is more consistent with how the Lord operates. But who can truly understand and explain God anyway? There are mysteries that we must be okay with. But what is plain, and even when you re- as, as we read through 2 Samuel here, chapter 24, what is plain is that David's top advisor, and then it uses the word plural, it says uh, his... Overruled Joab and his commanders in verse 4 is plural. That David's top advisors didn't think what he was going to do uh, was of the Lord. Or why would he appeal to the king and risk his own neck? Or why would they risk their own neck before a king who has the power of life and death in his command and try to change his mind about counting his foot soldiers? If the king is really following God's orders, who would object? Why would a king want to know the number of his soldiers when there are no accounts that their enemies are approaching them or that their enemies are hostile to them? They have just kind of won battle after battle after battle, and they're in a really secure place. Joab's words seem faith-filled and filled with trust in the Lord. His verse Verse 3, when he says, May the Lord your God multiply the troops a hundred times over, and may the eyes of my Lord the King see it. In other words, let me take a stab at rephrasing what Joab is saying here. Can't you see what the Lord has done already? Don't you think our soldiers can def- do you think our soldiers can defend us better than the Lord? Have you forgotten the Lord is our victory? Not these mighty men, not even the mighty warriors we talked about last week that could defeat a hundred, that a thousand to one, that it was God's spirit and God's ability that enabled them to do great feats for, for his glory. Don't, don't put your trust in chariots or military might. 
Why are you doing this? Do you have to brag yourself up? Is this going to make you look better? Are you going to feel better about yourself because of the great numbers that we have? Will this information make the Lord great or make you great? Will the mass of your army make you feel safer than being in the hands and the security of the one true God? How much is enough? Look around you. The Lord is good. He has taken care of you. And he will continue to take care of you even if everything that you have, all this material wealth, all the security of your palace, all the, the booty in the treasure of the kingdom, even if it's massed into giant caves and caverns and, and safes of, filled with the treasures from the enemies that you have defeated, gold upon piles of gold, and even when all that's gone, don't you realize that your security and your provision and your hope for success into the future is in the hands of the Lord, not in all this stuff you see around you. Will you stand with me? Lord, we are in this continual battle with our flesh. A battle where we realize you're the pearl of greatest price, that we should get rid of everything to find our hope in you. And then as we're blessed and living, we can sometimes start to just rely on that. We can start to think, look forward to more and more stuff and, and more and more things and compare our lives to those that are around us and what they have compared to what we have and it's just a continual bad loop that we find ourselves battling our flesh. We thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is alive, that you're calling us to righteousness. You're calling us to trust. And even when we mess up, even when we take measures in our own hands, even when we do put our, our trust in our career, in our, in our paycheck, in our degree, in our grade point average, Thank you, Lord, that you are full of grace to forgive us when we humble ourselves before you. And you put us back in, a, in the right place where we are small and you are great. And the future is good when we all keep that first and foremost. In Jesus' name. Verse 4, the king's word, however, overruled Joab and the army commanders, so they left the presence of the king to enroll the fighting men of Israel. Enrollment is an interesting word there. Was this a draft? Was it more than just a matter of counting? Was, was it more? Did King David want more servants and more workers around his palaces? That's what ancient rabbis talk about, the conflict there of the 
palace rule, that how many more slaves, how many more servants were they going to take from their home at a time of war to, to build his palaces, to build his gardens. And so there's, there's speculation of conflict of interest here as well. But after crossing the Jordan, they camped. Uh, then they camped. Okay, so he sends them out. They cross the Jordan. They, they go uh, south of the town of the gorge uh, to Gad and Jazar, Gilead, and uh, uh, Dan, John, Jan, and towards Sidon. And, and they went toward the fortress in Tyre and the towns of the, uh, of the Hivites and the Canaanites. And finally, they went to Beersheba. We were there, Joan, uh, in the Negev of Judah. And after they had gone through the entire land, they came back to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. It took them a whole school year, these, these forces, to, to get the census or this enrollment or this uh, military count. It, the point was, it was a massive and thorough undertaking. Joab reported the number of fighting men to the king in Israel. There were 800,000 able-bodied men who could handle a sword. And in Judah, 500,000. 1.3 million soldiers. A million foot soldiers today is still a crazy huge number. As of 2017, the United States Combined Armed Services Active Duty Roster, when you join our, all of our forces together, Coast Guard, Nobody? Army? Air Force? United States Marines? Woo! Wow, a lot of you out there. Royal Rangers? <laughs> That's kind of the Assemblies of God kind of Boy Scouting group and stuff like that. Old school kind of, you know. What? Oh, United States Navy? Yeah, that's how, that's how I feel about bell bottoms too. All right, I thought about the navy, but I thought I saw those bell bottoms and I just went, "There's no way." But all of our combined active duty rosters equal one point two, one million two hundred eighty-one thousand nine hundred. Shockingly, really close, like within what, with less than twenty thousand from the count of the forces. Uh, of David's army in that day. Pretty, pretty big number, 1.3 million for David. Only the People's Republic of China has more enlisted personnel in their uh, military forces, 2.2 million, and probably not by their own choice, by the way. But it didn't take very long for the new count of this new count, this new census, this this addition or, or calculation of the forces available for King David for him to feel horrible about what he had demanded. Verse 10, David was conscience-stricken, conscience-stricken. Say that three times fast. Yeah. Yeah, I heard trouble on one. David was conscience stricken after he had counted the fighting man and he said to the Lord I've sinned greatly in what I've done now Lord I beg you take away the guilt of your servant I've done a very foolish thing in other words Lord I'm sorry 
Please forgive me. And the Lord says this. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'm going to let you pick your punishment. Okay? Pick your punishment. Verse 11. Before David got up the next morning, the word of the Lord came to Gad, the prophet, David's seer. Go and tell David, this is what the Lord says. I'm giving you three options. Choose one of them for me to carry out against you. He's giving them a multiple choice. So Gad went to David and said to him, Shall there come on you three years of famine in your land, or three months of fleeing from your enemies while they pursue you, or three days of plague in your land? Now then, think it over and decide how I should answer the one who sent me. So this is what the Lord has given you. Here's the multiple choice. I like multiple choice at times in school. Three years of hunger for all your people, A. B, three months of running from your enemies. I don't know what that means, but it doesn't sound like you get to sleep in your bed anymore. I, I, it doesn't sound, I'd, who, who knows how many will perish from a, from, a, from a nationwide famine for three years as well. That sounds really uncomfortable for a real long time. And C, three days of plague. Now, the great thing about multiple choice is uh, sometimes when you got the answer D, none of the above. <laughs> but unfortunately, the Lord never gave David of none of the above. Um, he probably had the option of all of the above, but never considered it. It's kind of like asking a guy, what do you want? A punch in the face? Or a kick in the groin, you know? Like, are those my only two options? I don't like any of them. Some folks have faced the end of their life like that. Cancer. Some people have gotten that kind of news before, and I, I've thought about it. What will, I, what will I do in my life, and if I'm at a point ever where they say, you can enjoy another six months of feeling good, feeling normal, or face chemotherapy and maybe live twice as long, maybe live a few years miserable and uncomfortable. I mean, if those were your two options, you know, like that, that would be really tough to process. So I understand folks who choose quality of life over longevity. I'm old enough to, to process, process that and to understand that. I can't answer it for myself yet, but I do think about it as a really difficult uh, decision that has to be made. And David said to the prophet, I'm in verse 14, I'm in deep distress. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great, but do not let me fall into human hands. It says option A and option B have to do with, with, with uh, well, option B has to do with my enemies. Option A, I guess, you know, the the hunger, I'm not sure why he, he, he says that, but he said, I would rather, though, that the Lord punish us <laughs> swift and fast, and let's get this over with. How many, are, how many are like, I get that, let's get this over with really fast, rather than three years of suffering, or rather than months and months of us being on the run, how many of us will survive? Some Jewish scholars 
hold to the idea that the Lord incited David to count uh, in order to exterminate those who were not loyal to the house of David, that God needed to do some pruning. But that seems like a weak argument because of David's own personal turmoil in this, in this situation. David's own confession of his acts that he calls them sinful. He says he has done a very foolish thing. So the Lord sent a plague, verse 15, on Israel from that morning until the end of the time designated. And 70,000 of the people from Dan to Beersheba died. When I think about the A, B, or C, honestly, which one I would choose, I do think of this, that there were 70,000 people who would have probably said, let's pick A or B, okay? <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you're picking C, but what if you're one of the seven, what if you're the one, one of the ones who die? What if your life is over in three days? How many think if your life was over in three days, you might choose for there to be less food around for a few years? How many think you might choose that if you were one of the 70? A few. How many think you might just be on the, a band on the run for, for three months? You've been on the run through the desert. You've gone all those things. How many still say, I'll take my chance with the, the death plague? Where are you at? Okay. You would, really, because you're one of the ones who's going to die. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you are, you're dead in three days. Verse 15, 16 says, When the angel stretched out his hand to destroy Jerusalem, the Lord relented concerning the disaster and said to the angel who was afflicting the people, Enough. Withdraw your hand. And the angel of the Lord was at the threshing floor. The Lord relented. The Lord changed his mind about his how, how much devastation. But God is merciful. David was right that God did spare some of them. And I doubt their enemies would have done the same. I doubt the enemies of Israel would have taken it easy on them, would have stopped at a certain point. And when David saw the angel who was striking down the people. He said to the Lord, I have sinned. I, the shepherd, have done wrong. These are but sheep. What have they done? Let your hand fall on me and my enemy. No matter our situation, God wants us to place our trust in him, not in our relationships, even as precious as family can be, a spouse, a church family. God wants our trust to be in him, not in our education, not in a thriving business plan, not in our savings account that assures financial peace. How many are glad your trust is not in your wimpy savings account? Where are you at? Okay. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm, I, I need the Lord because what I have saved is not bringing any financial peace into my life. David had some amazing tri triumphs but none greater than God saying, here's someone after my own heart. And no matter the sin, David got his heart right eventually falling before the Lord. This took nine months and 20 days. And even at the end of 2 Samuel, the last verses of chapter 24, it tells of David buying a field to build an altar and sacrifice to the Lord. We see in the last chapter, an illustration of the cycles of sin, its consequences, repentance, 
forgiveness and redemption. It's, it's kind of a, a cyclical theme that happens to Israel, that happens to us as believers in Jesus Christ. When we choose the things of this world, and then we face the consequences, and when the consequences are unfolding before us, that's usually when we get really honest and raw and, and transparent and authentic with God, and then he forgives and by his blood redeems us. For many, life's downward punches drive humans into a spiral of self-destruction and too much pride to humble themselves before the Lord. We were going through some older boxes in our garage yesterday, and it was kind of cool, and I won't, say, I, won't, I won't give away anything that embarrasses you, Brianna, just to let you know, but Brianna did find a little note that she wrote to herself before we moved. We lived in the same house on Fernwood back when we lived in the old ghetto, right by Bo and Aaron. And uh, we lived there nine years, and uh, Brianna wrote a note to herself. And uh, so it was only a couple years ago, but now she's in eighth grade. But she asked herself, like, how she was liking junior high, and it was really kind of cute. And, you know, how's your new room? And a few simple questions, super, super cute. And kind of strange when you go, like, you're thinking ahead, like, you're going to find this in the future. And Psalm 20 was written by a much younger David. And when I think about David counting his armies and wanting to know how strong their forces were compared to the enemies that had surrounded them, I think of Psalm 20 as a, as a great lyric to pull out to blow the dust off the manuscript and read it to an older King David. Dear older me. Oh, wait, it's dear younger me. It's the song. But how cool for dear older me to come across Psalm 20 that David had written. It says, may the Lord answer you when you are in distress. And may the name of the, of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desires of your heart and make all your plans succeed. And may we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Know this, now this I know. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. I read this earlier. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Lord, 
give victory to the king and answer us when we call. I hope there have been times as you've served the Lord where you felt very closely connected to him, very passionate about your desire for him. And as we conclude this service in prayer today, maybe you can say, that's me. I, I need to trust the Lord. Because sometimes I, I worry about the future. I don't feel secure. And I know I, I know I need to trust him. But there are so many things that are around me that I worry about. I, I feel surrounded by issues and concerns and worries. And I want to trust him. But how do I deal with? How do I plan? How do I reconcile all the things that are rising up around me that are demanding my attention or my decision. Will you stand with me? I'm going to ask prayer. some of those folks come forward here, Dave and Joan and Carly. And maybe that's you here today that you say, I, I worry. Sometimes I, I calculate and I try to figure things out. And if I save this and save this, and if I do this long enough or I get this much money, then I can make it. Then I'm going to be secure. Forgive us, Lord. We live in this country that's been blessed around every corner and there's just stockpiles and there's fortune 500 companies and fortune 400 companies that we're, we're reading about all the mass of, of money uh, uh, coming into Amazon now passing Walmart as the, the highest retail selling industry in, in this country and some people are just massing uh, incredible amounts of wealth. And we can find ourselves looking across the fence and thinking, if we had that, we could face the future with confidence. But thank you, Lord, that you keep bringing us back to a place where we go, no. Our trust is not in our military might. It's not in our chariots. It's not in the wealth of our accounts or our good future planning of our estate. But our trust is in the simple, dynamic, and amazing power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the high calling to serve you in these last great days. And call your people to authentic service. And God, when we get away, when we get to putting our trust in all of our plans, thank you that you're merciful and graceful to forgive us and restore us and redeem us when we humble ourselves before you. May that be our countenance as we go from this place in Jesus' name. And everyone said. You can find us online at falls.church or by searching Facebook at facebook.com slash fallschurch.sf.